Lena, but look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and joining me for this one this week is Dan. Dan, how are we doing today? Hello, I'm great, thank you very much. I like the hello. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we've literally just recorded with Andrew Gallimore and that interview will be out later on this week on Friday for everyone. We talked about psychedelics, DMT, the association with different dimensions, realities, UFOs. It was a, a good talk, Dan. You enjoyed that one? Yeah, one one of my kind of top conversations, just, just super, super interesting. Part of me wishes we had uh, Sean Cahill with us with that conversation. Maybe that's for a part two then. But yeah, he was good. I really enjoyed talking to to Andrew and that one about, like I say, on Friday. This one is a little bit of a bonus show because we want to discuss two things. I put out a poll last week and we'll get to that secondary. But the first one was Chris Mellon's recent tweet where he put out the he had some questions potentially for Congress on the back of the, the UAP task force report uh, as and when it does come out. We're not going to run through all 17 questions. There's a lot of questions in that, and that might be a bit boring, but we picked out a few that we thought were particularly interesting. And we would encourage you, if you've not already, to go and check out the questions that Chris Mellon does have on on the back of that as well. So that the Chris Mellon putting this tweet out, what did you think timing-wise, Dan? Because the report's not out yet. It makes me think, though, that he knows it's finished or has maybe seen the report. at this point, like, I, I don't know where the report is physically at the moment, um, but I know it has to go through kind of approval and editing and things like that, where, you know, different different parts of the organization can say, no, this bit should be in classified, this bit shouldn't be included. Um, so I imagine that's where it's going through at the moment, um, and that a lot of these questions speak to things that perhaps aren't in the public section of the report. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff there I thought that, oh, that's interesting, but it's going to be in the classified section, so we won't see the answer to that anyway. But for me, and we, we talked through it just beforehand as well to break the fourth wall, if there's a fourth wall when you're recording audio, I don't know, um, record breaking the audio wall. But we, we talked through, and I think we found the same questions relatively interesting, to be honest. And like you said, some of the questions are, are relatively similar, similar in what they're asking, at least to us. But to someone like Chris Mellon for that granular detail, or a Lou Elizondo, who I didn't mention on the Andrew Gallimore podcast for the first time ever, or other people with that sort of high-ranking interest in this, those questions are no doubt very, very different in their specificity of what they're actually trying to pinpoint. Um, I think the first question was number two that we found uh, pretty interested, which was reportedly the classified report contains only about 120 incidents. Now, this is something we've, we've known already. How is that reconciled with the fact NORAD, which is the North American Aerospace Defense Command, alone has hundreds of flight tracks per annum it cannot identify? NORAD, I think most people 
outside the US particularly will know as the one of the companies that does Santa tracking each year at Christmas, where they'll put on that you can watch Santa fly over the globe and it's great to show the kids all that kind of stuff. But Wait, so is, they can track Santa, but we, we can't get them to talk about UAP? Yeah, there's no doubt there must be a Christmas joke in there, but just in the middle of June and the hottest day of the year for the UK, it's just we'll, not the we'll time. We'll hold it, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah. wait for a few months. We'll hold back on the Christmas special stuff, but the the NORAD is an extremely serious organisation. That's you know, as it says, a North American Aerospace Defence Command. They they watch stuff coming in from different heights and altitudes to to potentially attack the US, and they have all types of systems tracking, constantly recording different data sets. And Chris Mellon's coming out here and saying that NORAD alone never mind all the others, and some of those are mentioned within the questions, are, are tracking hundreds of flights that it just can't identify. That's, forget UFOs, forget aliens, that's a massive defence issue alone for the United States, surely, that it's tracking stuff regularly. It sounds like almost daily that it just doesn't know what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this stuff could be anything from you know, all discarded Russian rocket boosters spinning around the planet in orbit um, to, you know, a bona fide UAP. Um, it's interesting that Chris has specified the number there. Um, obviously, you know, he's specifying that there's 120 incidents looked at in the report, but I wonder how they differentiated those incidents. I wonder if the only ones we're being given are... Um, the genuines, so to speak, the, the genuine tracks, the genuinely mysterious stuff. I guess we'll see when we get there. Um, but it's it's worth noting that any of the the satellites that form and radar that form part of these kind of uh, defense systems, they're made up of multiple places. So you'll have like places like Mount Mushram and places like that that we know incursions have occurred over. Um, and all of these radar are set to kind of look for particular parameters. So say, for example, we know how big a Russian missile is, then that might be the top size that it looks for. But it doesn't mean that that's all it's going to see. You know, we'll have anomaly data from those sensors saying, hey, there was something bigger than that that flew by and did a right angle turn. That's somewhere. You know, that that track and data is somewhere, and we need to be able to see those. Even, even if they're in the classified section, the right people need to be able to see those and do something about it. My worry with this being brought up so early on in his questioning, tied in with some of the questions being to do with nuclear uh, incidents, uh, i.e. the you know objects buzzing nuclear sites and whatnot, is he potentially getting at the fact that those aren't within there? Because I think one of the questions he does mention that, you know, if these aren't in the report, then why not? So again, why is he putting that there when... I would imagine he would have wind that that's potentially not within the report. And he's already making a point of why are you not talking about nuclear incursions when that's really important. So of that 120 incidents, are we getting, or not we because it's classified, are, are the people getting the classified report seeing a watered down version of events, which is something that's sort of been alluded to or hinted at anyway? What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... A very relevant thought, I think. A, a few questions in here kind of ask about the nuclear connection and if the report found a stronger connection as programs in the past have. Um, so, I, I yeah, I wonder, you know, anything to do with nuclear stuff, it's, it's an iffy conversation. And the world isn't 
110% sure of the USA's capability on that front. So like Lou Elizondo was said before, they kind of need to tiptoe around it. And having the conversation about nuclear incursions whilst not being able to talk about nuclear capability, like you can, there's an issue there, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, next up, uh, question four, I think we picked out as well. Uh, he said, we've already lost years we might have been using to understand the phenomenon what are the risks and potential consequences of our continuing inability to identify the capability and intent of those operating these vehicles? What stands out to you there with the wording? I mean, we're looking at risks and potential consequences, right? It's it's threat or no threat by another phrase. And the truth is, we we don't know. Um, I, I read a book this week uh, about, you know, something unrelated, but the mysterious kind of creatures that they were encountering, there were different people in the groups arguing, they're good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad. And the truth of the matter turned out to be exactly in the middle. And just having the conversation about, are they good, are they bad, are they bad, distracted those characters from actually dealing with the situation. And I know fiction is a lot simpler than kind of real life, but I can't help but feel there's a, there's a, a similarity, uh, you know? It's Again, obviously he's mentioning, like you say, the, the threat... I, I'm trying to not use the word narrative because it's what we keep saying, but the threat aspect to all of this as well. But you would imagine, do, no, actually, I say you would imagine, I'm just going to ask you, Dan, do you think that Chris Mellon knows these things may be a threat? I personally think that Chris Mellon knows the answers to any question he ever asks. He's a smart cookie. Um like like that moment where um you know on Twitter I forget who it was now uh, Gaddy Schwartz I think it was where he asked the Pentagon if Lou worked at ATIP whilst he already had that paperwork in hand proving that Lou worked at ATIP yeah I I think that's what we're looking at here from Chris he knows the answers he knows the data's there he's trying to get the right people to talk about this stuff okay Dan so I'll ask you the question again do you think Chris Mellon knows these are a threat <laughs> um. I don't think Chris or anyone like that actually sees these things as a threat. Okay. So you're, you but still think it's important with... to ask the question. Yeah. It, it gets the door open. That's going to allow them the, the investigation and the funding to have the conversation seriously, because once you eliminate, they're not a threat, then what are they? Because I think once people start having the conversation, they're going to want to know because we're getting to the point of what is, what are in these UFOs? You know, what are, what's happening with these experiences people are having. And that's once you've managed to crack the mainstream with that, and we're still going, and me and you have said this for a long time now, the the, the threat aspect of the conversation is there because it allows them to get in with the, the people who can have these investigations because it's going to get military, it's going to get science involved and all that side of things as well. So not necessarily that they are a threat, but it, it opens up the right people who can allow them access to all this information and sensors and data and, and investigation. Because even right. if he knows they're not a threat, you're still going to have high-ranking military brass who just see anything they don't know or can't comprehend or control as a threat. Yeah, absolutely. And and I feel the question one out of these, you know, this big long list is kind of relevant here where Chris asks, why did awareness of this phenomenon have to come from private citizens outside the government devoted several years of their lives? Several, I mean, decades, right? There's yeah. been a lot of people over many, many decades. And it, it's such a, a potent question because it just 
shows that the government has done nothing but, you know, stick their hand in and just mess this all up instead of kind of giving people clear messaging that may have saved a person or two, you know? Yeah. Now, listen, number 13, it's weird to say I have a favourite question, okay? But it's it's a more detailed version of question two, or ask for a little bit of the granular aspect of it. How many, if any, incidents were there of, of on-orbit UAPs or UAPs rising to or descending from orbit? Essentially, do we have these things going into space or coming in from space? I love that question because I've asked that a couple of times on the podcast recently as well that we seem to be, we've had for decades and decades and decades, for the 70 years we all talk about as a rough number, okay? Like we always say 65 million years since the dinosaurs, you know, but now saying we've been studying UFOs for 70 years, right? So 70 years we've talked about them being in the sky. Yes, there's been, in the past, we've looked a little bit about, you know, space or we've looked a little bit at the under the water, but it's always very much these things are in the sky because that's where we see them. Now we've got basically footage, military footage, pictures of, well, they're, they're good chance they're under the water. We're hearing reports, Tim McMillan discussed on the podcast last week that the, the Black Triangle photo, the much maligned, infamous, famous, whatever you want to call it at this point, um, isn't actually of the object in or coming out of the water. It's already well out of the water at thirty-five to 40,000 feet. But there was data available that showed them the object had been under the water and they potentially knew where to look for it or were expecting it or whatever it might have been. For example, a submarine had recorded it, something like that. Okay, maybe not to put rumours out there, but that might be what happened. But they knew the object was going to be in there. Bang, they took a picture of it. But that's that's where we're at with the conversation, which is great that they're underwater and in the air. But Chris Mellon's just coming out here and going, what about orbit? What about space? Do we have that? And I think that's where you really, that's a game changer in the conversation still for me because we're knocking on the door of the mainstream just now quite loudly. The door's opening and people are going, oh, they're underwater. Oh, they're going in and out the water. If you could literally show one of these things being tracked coming in from space, through the air and then underwater or vice versa that eliminates any conversation of balloons that's a big one yeah for sure and and that's such a low-hanging fruit as well isn't it a balloon you you'd think you'd think that 78 years down the road we'd have figured that one out yeah I mean, do you know what? I get, uh, even then, like, you could still say, oh, God, I'm debunking this already, but it could be, like, a booster rocket fell or something, a satellite came down. Yep, so you would have to have data that showed change of speed, it stopped, it moved, it changed direction, it came back out the water, all that kind of stuff, of course, but Chris Mellon here seems to be getting at, like you say, he's asking questions he knows the answers to. We have got a good idea what the answer is going to be to this, but... Of course, they must have tracked these objects coming in from orbit. There's, there's been talk the Tic Tacs when the the radar caught it going from eighty thousand feet to just above the the seabed. That these things have also been tracked by other systems, potentially on the coast that track incoming missiles, and they were tracked coming in from orbit as well. But that's very classified stuff now because now you're saying that here's what and where we can track and how we can track it and how detailed, you know, if they can they find a baseball coming in from orbit, that sort of detail, then that's stuff they're not going to come out and say. Yeah, and it's a shame because we kind of know off the record that 
they can track a baseball coming in from orbit. You know, this stuff is that and, and that's not powerful. me and you. That's not we know that. No one's told that. But it's no, like, no, yeah, no. The, the this is stuff public, that, yeah. like, yeah, the, the people who have worked on these things have been able to speak about. Um, but it brings us, interestingly, to question 14, which is which sensor systems prove the most useful and what does that tell us about the ways we can improve UAP collection going forward? That answer is not going to be outside of the classified annex. No way, Jose, are they going to tell everyone on the planet how to stack UAP? I'm excited for that one, but probably not a question we're going to necessarily see the answer to or see much of in the report about any objects coming in from orbit. I think that's one for down the line. Um, but it's a very exciting next phase of the conversation, that one. Can, can I ask you a, a, a question about that? No. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, 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 go on. Um, what would you do if, so we know that Kevin Day has kind of said they came from, you know, 80,000 feet down. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's the ceiling of that system. Yeah. We know there's some weirdness with this phenomena. And a lot of people would probably say, oh, it came from orbit, so it came from space, therefore it must be ET. But some of the technology that we talk about these things may be using, they're so powerful, the amount of power that they generate is just off the charts, that if something went wrong, they would obliterate our planet if they were too close. So I wonder if it's, you know, maybe something weirder that appears and makes itself look like something else, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. Did, so it doesn't come from that? another planet, it kind of appears in orbit, and then comes they ma- out. They manifest. Yes, yeah, that's it, a good word. It manifests itself. Yeah, I've, I've, I've mentioned that recently, that, yeah, I, th- I think there's a chance that they, you know when you hear about them even coming from behind the moon? Yeah. Like, is it just the fact it's an easy place to pop into existence? You know, if you want to go full on Rick and Morty, does a little portal open up and they fly through it at that point? Does it just appear? Does it dissolve into existence, fade in and fade out? Potentially, yeah. And, and like you say, it's just to do with the maybe the power or how they're how they're created, how they come through, like they do. Um, and is that if you look at Roswell, is that what happened at Roswell, where one of these things in orbit was manifesting? There was a bit of an electrical storm. You you get you get these things in the upper atmospheres, or something happened that it got knocked out and just fell to Earth. Maybe maybe that's why some of these crashes happen. Who knows? That is just pure conjecture. But yeah, that's I, I think so. Yeah, I think there's potential there. Yeah, it's um, I think it's one of those conversations, and uh, we'll have that one down the line. Probably is like you know, we always think of these 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 objects. Forget the ones that are back engineered or humans that we might have, right? Tr three B shudder, right? But we always think of them as flawless, and there's no real reason to, it other than the fact that extremely advanced. That there's nothing to say that they're flawless, though. It's kind of like saying that my iPhone is flawless if you were from 200 years in the past, right? I know it's not flawless. I know I can crack it. I know I can break it. I know I can run the battery out and it will stop working. Yet someone from the past would look at it and kind of be like, wow, this is this incredible technology that, that gives Dan godlike powers. And I'm just there. Do you know what? Forget even someone, you know? someone from the past. What about someone right now from a third world country? Or yeah, one of these Am- Amazon tribes that isn't touched by civilization, and they would ask you about your iPhone, or someone who's just got the most basic of phones, right? Even a, a child who has a relatively basic phone that just sees your brand new iPhone 12 and they're blown away with it. 
but you know tech nerd dan goes yeah but the battery life's not great and do you know what it's it's not got this function i'm a little bit annoyed i've not got the the audio jack on it anymore and you're just nitpicking these little flaws but see to that other person from them pers- their perspective they're blown away by just how perfect and what they wouldn't do to have your bit of tech but you still find the flaws in it because now you have that tech and maybe that's the way we look at this stuff that wow it can travel this great distance but it's it's what must be flaws why would it crash well why would it not yeah or all sorts of things cause cause things to to break and we don't know what the cause could be until we know how the thing works put simply right <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, and the last one is it, it kind of goes off the beaten track of the questioning for the last couple of questions particularly 15 and 17 um where richard doty's mentioned just all, almost out the blue it's not really in running with with what's going on and that's that's extremely deliberate i mean chris mellon's not just picked a name out of the air there has he no he hasn't um I said to you before recording this that I didn't want to talk about Doty too much just because the stuff he did in the past, it's being used here in a specific way to to prove the cover-up, so to speak. Question 16 kind of talks about, um, you, you know, the OSI UAP files kind of being somewhere as well. So I think these last three questions is really Chris getting to the heart of the matter. You know, we started kind of by saying, why did a private entity outside of the government have to deal with this. And now we're saying, actually, the government did deal with this. But what they did was mess with people's lives so much that Paul Benowitz, bless, and, you know, rest in peace, he became unstable and committed suicide. Like, this is one of those things that when this starts unraveling, Doty could end up in handcuffs over this. You know, someone, whoever gave that command, to work on the American people. Like, that's insane that they're, they're doing that, you know? We, we know about Project Mockingbird and things like that, where the CIA used the media and things like that. But to drive someone to suicide, to keep a very real phenomena that we have to deal with, that we really need to deal with quiet, it just leaves me speechless. And it's it's one of those things that just makes me think, you know what? one day we need congressional hearings on this and some people really need to come out with their hands out asking for forgiveness. I, I just find it incredible incredible for anyone who has come out and said officially, I am a guy whose whole job was to lie, get people to trust me and then break that trust on all kinds of levels. Like I'm a professional liar. I'm a very highly trained and skilled liar. And he gets booked for events or goes on shows or especially especially in the subject where who can you trust anyway a hundred percent because you are putting faith in people. But here's a guy who I want to say to be fair has come out and now admitted what he was, but people still allow. It, that type of character in the conversation which is just just mind-blowing yeah you know we we know he deals in disinformation yet people are still asking the guy questions it, it, 
can, can you remember that old kind of riddle about two people protect indoors and the one you know lies and the one you know tell the truth? Doty is the guy that always lies and people keep talking to him, expecting truth. Like, is that not the definition of insanity? Is doing the same thing again and again and expecting different results? Yeah. It's, there, there was a program in the UK called Golden Balls. That was a quiz show where you basically each had a, a, a amount of money and you and the other person could agree to to share the money and you would both walk away with it. And they would ask you for your both for your decisions, but you could then secretly write down that you wanted to steal the money. Ooh. And if one person said they were going to steal it and you said you were going to share it, the person who said they would steal would get all the money and you would get nothing. But you would literally have the conversation. Like right now, me and Dan would say, no, well, there's 10 grand, we'll both share it. And we both agree to share. We write it down. We both get five grand each. I but, trust you for what it's worth. I, I would write share. Thanks. I would write steal. No, <laughs> <laughs> But people, people would have to convince each other they were both going to share it. If they both agreed to steal, they, they both got nothing. So the idea was that you can walk away with half or actually, if, if you do just want to be sneaky about it, you could lie and take all the money. Richard Doty is a guy who is literally coming out and saying, I am I am lying to you. I, I lie. I am going to lie. I am going to take the money. But then right at the end goes, no, 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 we'll share it. Don't worry. Just write down share. And then still steals it from you. And you're surprised that he's stolen the money. That is, that's anyone wants to youtube golden balls now they can I'm, some, I'm, I'm gonna look it up that sounds there's like some pretty a, fun a moments game. on it yeah because good liars get away with it basically but i think it's you know what it's probably a great analogy if people watch some of it for this subject as well that there's some really nice unassuming people that you would think oh they're being honest how sweet they want to share the money and they steal it and it just that's what i mean you just can't 100 trust so it amazes me with the doty stuff and it speaks volumes that Chris Mellon has put that in there. So I think that's one to keep an eye on for the, the future and going forward, yeah. most definitely. Um, yeah. As well as that, Dan, we, we won't spend too long on this one because it's a, an update pod and we don't want to go hours with these. But uh, we put a poll on the Twitter a couple of days ago and it was for one of the upcoming What If episodes. And we're tagging this What If on the end of this one, folks. So do different alien species, others, cryptos, different entities, do they know about each other? And on the poll, there was 279 votes came in, which is awesome. I think I put it out at an awkward time of the day as well. So great to get so many. Um, overwhelmingly, 88.5% of people said yes. 6.1% no. 54 said other. And we've got some comments to go through as well. Dan, before we go through the comments, what do you think about that? Like, do, do these beings know about each other or not? I've got to go with a nice, healthy middle. Some do some don't just because this whole subject has told me that our reference frame is relative so the second that we're absolutely sure we know everything about the universe and nature you can guarantee it's going to give us something that upends our understanding um and that's going to be true no matter what your vantage point so if i was one of the others there's probably stuff i wouldn't be aware of and and the more events we become the more we know that you don't know what you don't know and you've got to kind of prepare for that and have an open mind for that. Otherwise, you just miss these incredible possibilities. Um, in Contact, in the, the book, the, um, the beings that the humans met through kind of finding a code in the radio signal, they actually had their 
own kind of code that they'd found with their technology at the base level of the universe that kind of drew a circle and showed an intelligent design. But they had no more answers for it. So I think, you know, we're, we're just going to find that some of these things are aware of each other, some of them are not. Um, and it all comes down to our experience of the universe. Yeah, I, I would go with that. And I think that's that's a really interesting conversation as well for another day that we eventually get in touch with some form of intelligent species and we would have all these questions and you could imagine a lot of the questions, they would go, ah, we don't know. Uh, but, oh, yeah. but you must know. And they, again, they'd be like, well, why? Just because we can travel here doesn't doesn't mean we know. It's like Some of the questions, they might be like, why do you want to know the answer to that? What do you mean the meaning of life? There's no meaning to life. Like In, um, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I know you were going the, to the depressed that. robot has a has a big religious pilgrimage through the five books to a planet where there's a message from god as as life forms in the universe know it and this this message when he finally gets there kind of pulling his body along the sand on this planet in the middle of nowhere he finally gets to see it and it just says in blazing letters we apologize for the inconvenience so we could have something as humorous as that you know Absolutely. So listen, uh, you guys left some comments as well. And um, th there's some good stuff in there as well. So Eric, common sense dictates that they would have to be to avoid navigational collisions. Alleged abductees report crossover. Remote viewing data very much confirms it. Even medieval art depicts dogfights or interactions between them. Thoughts on that, Dan? Yeah, I mean, we, we have the... Uh, the, the, it's like a wood carving, isn't it? That original Nuremberg kind of art with the triangles and the spheres in the sky that were said to be, be fighting each other. <laughs> but again, these would be probably two of an infinite amount of beings, right? And, and yeah, sure, they're aware of each other and they're going to be fighting in the sky. But that's not everyone. The The idea of collisions and stuff as well, like I don't necessarily know about that. Like, the odds on one of these things manifesting at the same time and again time is potentially relative to them and i don't think collisions are necessarily an issue um the next question i think i won't say what i was going to say there because that might come up within the next one um ufo thinker podcast which is worth checking out it's pretty new um has said that the question that's been haunting me is how many others are there and that's what i was going to touch on as well thousands millions maybe more are we just one of many uncontacted tribes in the universe? In which case, what level of development are they waiting for before contacting us? So many questions. That's probably that's a conversation we've had literally an hour ago, Dan, uh, part yeah. of with, with Andrew Gallimore. Um, firstly, like the number of civilizations are different in entities, intellectual beings. Pfft, I, I don't even know how you start to have that conversation. One, ten, millions, billions, even, trillions. Even if we just look at the Drake equation, which kind of uses how many exoplanets are in the solar system as science currently understands it, there should be an abundance of intelligent life out there. So, you know, and, and that's really what we're seeing in Brian Cox kind of, not so much shifting his decision, but going down the scientific road is his understanding is starting to get to a point where he's realizing, oh my, there should be a lot of life around us and we can't see it. So where is it? Is it not there? Did the Fermi, Fermi paradox or, you know, the great filter get them? Or is it simply that they're in a different place to us, you know, an other place? Different plane of existence, potentially. 
even that it gets to me with like other, other different, and we talked about this with Andrew Gallimore, like there's other levels to this as well, where you have different levels of existence that the one we're at, and just, just imagine there are different beings on different planets, right? That a level above us, not technologically, but, you know, intelligence or a different ethereal plane. I don't know if that's the right word or whatever you want to call it that goes up there, right? Dan smiling. So potentially I mean, you, you know, it's like say other space because I just, it's hard. Yeah, like uh, words, words mean yeah. things to people. It's, it's tough. But like, what, if, what if the beings that are potentially like spiritual to us or, you know, in those different dimensions or realities, look at us and all other life, including other planets in this universe as just like, we would look at fish Lots of different types of fish, but at the end of the day, they're all fish. So other beings potentially would look at us and be like, well, you're no different to them, really. Just because they've got different methods of flying about in the sky, we just look at you the same. You're beneath us. Like, you're you're not evolved enough mentally or, you know, metaphysically or however you want to put it. That's that's the way I potentially start to look at this, that you then have different different levels to this. Uh, and, and where are we at on that cosmic scale of things still? It's almost like we, again, our conversation with Andrew, you know, we went back and we spoke about how certain things we use to have experiences with these, you know, nature spirits and things like that. I forgot what I was going to say. No, you haven't. I I come to you. What was your last bit? About the levels to this and planes of existence and, you know, fish are fish as I try and talk this out so I don't have to edit anything. No, I've really forgotten. You're going to have to cut me out. <laughs> That's fine. No, do you know what I'll do? Is I'll just move on to the next one anyway. Uh, with I've got James has put, what if they are truly demons? Now, I'll come in first on this, right? I, I genuinely just feel my opinion is when you hear about demons and angels and all that stuff that are in various religious books, they are just talking about stuff. They That's how they understood it at the time. And what we now understand as different entities and beings, that that's it. I don't think it's people in the sky or people in, under the ground. Well, actually, I do think it's people in the sky and people under the ground, right? But I, not in the sense of heaven and hell, right? <laughs> you can see how easily they, they put this stuff in a book back in the day where it's like, I'm talking about, well, they're under the water, you know, they're in the sky and they're, they're in space. And Oh, okay, that's, that sounds like the Bible. Um, so that's that's for me is it's just a different way of interpreting it and i've talked about before labels on this stuff so angelic and demonic to me i used to really like get rid of that but no no i get what you mean but i just think you have to take out the the religious aspect of it and that that's just how understanding it was ring fenced and that it potentially is that phenomenon but it's just understood in a different way yeah i i think you're absolutely right there um And it's good to keep that in mind when people talk about things like, you know, the Collins elite, as if they're this secret group that meet and do these rituals and so on and so forth. Um, That's what it sounds like. What it actually is, it's just people that are super religious who see the phenomena through that lens. They grew up with Catholicism and that's how they see everything in life. So they're just using that language. And unfortunately, it has a lot of negative connotations that keeps people away from studying it, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, Dave Lorimer put, great question, thanks. Uh, with infinite possibilities, I reckon some will know about each other, some won't. Some will probably be like us in relation to us knowing something is there but can't quite understand it yet. Very much what, what you were saying, Dan, I think there, um, but said much better. Uh, Dave Smethurst, I think it's just given the tech they use, they must be aware of each other, even if some don't interact. If we are aware of them uh, all as the home team, as it were, then surely they will all see and surely they'll all know of each other as they inhabit the same space, however fleetingly. But potentially, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I wonder if some of them even care about the, the idea of others being there. And then it but, comes into it, are they all are they all sentient beings that they all think for themselves? Do you have some of them that are like a hive-type mind, i.e. the Borg-type thing on Star Trek? Do you have some that are drones that we've literally got empty craft buzzing about? Uh, and you know, I, I I genuinely wonder, and I th- I've thought of this about the Tic Tac stuff sometimes. Are those things necessarily out there checking out the the navy? Could they literally be scanning the whales that are in the water, thinking, oh, here's a planet with loads of water on it? Maybe the Tic Tacs came from hundreds of millions of miles. Maybe they're under the the ground tier. We don't know, and they come up now and again to check on evolution. And, I mean, and the- if if you're looking for, you know, if you come to Earth and you scan it and you look at all the life forms there and you're like, right, okay, which one are we going to go see first? The biggest one seems like something we do too. You know, yeah. we go see a whale and it, you know, we, we don't know what technology they have that may enable them to understand communications between whales and their calves and families and things like that. Um, but that idea, it's, it's change of the sea again, isn't it? The, that something would come down and just miss us completely because we're really not top of the food chain. Like a lot of people like to talk about us as if we're like alpha species, but that's really interesting because the, we, we've just found out that we only have the concept of an alpha because of where we studied wolves in captivity out in the world. You know, they, they're just as family orientated as us. So it, there's this whole mode of existence we have that we've made up based on an observation, which we hold high regard, right? We hold high uh, observation in high regard with data, and we got it wrong. So so even with that perspective, where we're still kind of peeing into the winds, as, as it were. DJ from the Life MMA and MBA podcast who uh, keeps in touch with us and I like speaking to DJ on a regular basis. He put, it's an even more difficult question than where they're from. It seems as if we can answer from our world or different dimensions from another planet, both manned and unmanned. Establish comms with any of them. We could um, and we could answer this tertiary question. So that was some of the stuff I was saying there. Yep. Um, Avid up. Yes, of course. Everyone's watching us doing our experiments, maybe collaborating, having fun. That's where you have the trickster type high strangeness and going away. And we the fools are thinking it's demons and poltergeists. Um, maybe they are ones pulling our legs by pranking from beyond. Uh, Stephen, I believe so. Imagine we made contact with ET and they asked us about that weird trickster intelligence. Good again, that's that. Imagine they, they weren't sure and they were like, oh, we don't know what does this, or they're trying to work something out, so always a chance. Preston, it may be as mysterious to others as the gaps are to ourselves. Um small rips in the fabrics of dimensions, who knows? Nathan, who knows this? S H I T. Um and we had a few really good ones. Barry, if they pass through from the same plane of reality, then they could. 
And the way the orbs can manifest into cryptids also suggests it could all be one and the same. Uh, the real Heggers suspects Homo sapiens are the last of the party, potentially. Um, Adam, I think they will do either past encounters and stories or might even be distant relatives. Uh, Graham Rendell, as you'll know from UAP Media, do they even Ooh. have it the same universe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if they look through some kind of portal which then manifests itself as a craft would they be aware that something or someone else was doing the same thing if they coexist in the same universe and our potential adversaries heaven help us Uh, a lot of really good stuff sent in there folks as well we thought this would be a good one to tag on I just didn't want to drop a ton of different episodes for people to have to listen to and at least with this one you can pick and choose a little bit of the, the speculation side of it with the what if with myself and Dan and also a little bit of the the going over Chris Mellon's questioning as well. I uh, I actually remember what I was going to say earlier. That's what I've got um, time for. <laughs> <laughs> so I was literally just going to touch on the fact that, you know, we were talking about words and what they mean to people. And there are a lot of religions that talk about other planes of existence, higher planes, you know, whether we can raise our vibrations and things like that. And I deep down think that what science is doing now is starting to quantify these things in a language we can all discuss. Um, and now we're doing that, we can actually start exploring them in a way that isn't, isn't faith-based, but is more practical. And what that does is it spreads the knowledge in this nice little internet information age that we live in. Um, and who knows what's going to come from it. The suggestions on slide nine are absolutely insane. So if any of those become abilities that we humans have and can do, then all better off. Absolutely. Dan, thanks for your time this morning for the interview and for this one. Even though this one's going to go out before the interview, we'll put this one out today for people to time take over throughout the week. It is a bit of time travel, yeah. And if you're listening to this in the far, far future, 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years' time, um, I hope we were right. And if we weren't, sorry. Um, we didn't <laughs> and if, if we're still around, get in touch. We might be a bit yeah. old, but we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, awesome. Dan, nice speaking to you. Thanks, Andy. It's been, uh, it's been great fun. Bye, folks. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little more. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. Jump 
back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. I helped out my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And they think I should take care of me. And I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me. Thank you.